Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Hope you're ready for your weekend. Hope you're ready for some fantastic soccer coming up. Sunday's a big day. Look at Sunday. Look at the games coming up on Sunday. El Clasico, certainly. But Liverpool-Manchester United on Sunday as well. Man, how can you beat that? Obviously, there's a big MLS weekend. There's always a big MLS weekend. Today's show lined up very well for us. We've got Jake Edwards, the new president of the USL. He'll join us in about 10 minutes to talk about the open of their season tomorrow. And a little bit later, at the bottom of the hour, 10.30. I think it's 10.30. I'm going to check on that. Matthew Rappo of Red Bull Out. This is the fan group responsible for some billboards and a movement trying to get Red Bull, the corporation, out of the business of MLS. Leave that New York team alone. Let them go somewhere else. Somebody else take over. Local guys, I'm assuming. We'll find out from Matthew what the goal is exactly. What exactly does he do they think they can achieve at Red Bull Out? How widespread is this movement? I'm very much looking forward to this interview. No idea how it's going to go. You'll be along for the ride. It should be good. So Jake Edwards in a couple of minutes to Matthew Rappo a little bit later. Let's do the headlines starting on a Friday. Paul Pogba came out of that match against Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League in midweek with an injury. Wasn't sure how serious it was. Well, we've got word. He has got a a hamstring tear and will be out for at least two months. That's a blow to Juventus, certainly in, in terms of the Champions League. It looks like they've got Serie A wrapped up, especially because Roma is a, a tire fire right now. Roma is dis- a disaster, gets thumped by Fiorentina, uh, and, and the, um, it has to, the, the players have to go and apologize to the fans after this game in the Europa League. Not, not a league match, Europa League. But Roma can't figure out how to win a game anymore. So Juve's going to walk to the title, but still bad news for Paul Pogba missing two months. Paul Pogba's home of France is going to host the 2019 Women's World Cup. We've got a slew of FIFA decision news coming out, trickling out into the into the uh, the world right now as they meet wherever they're meeting. I don't even care where they're meeting. I care what they're deciding because, you know, these are the things that are going to affect our schedule and our calendars for the next couple of, se- a couple of years all the way up to perhaps 2026. But I don't really care where they're, where are they meeting? What kind of graft are they getting? What's, what's, what's lunch like at a FIFA executive committee meeting? It's probably pretty good, right? FIFA has approved a December 18th final for the Qatari World Cup in 2022, if you have not heard that already. So, a little bit of Christmas, a little bit of FIFA World Cup. It should be an interesting time. Now, obviously, not the, the rest of the world, uh, not, not the entire world celebrating Christmas, so it's not a, as big of an imposition for them. But this Winter World Cup is going to be something else. I don't think it's going anywhere. Just like I don't think Russia 2018 is going anywhere, if you believe Seth Blatter, football is going to fix everything. This, uh, this was out on Twitter a little while ago. In my opinion, says Blatter, the World Cup in Russia will be able to st- stabilize the situation in this part of Europe. So, again, we have this issue of chicken and egg. Instead of, 
let's give the World Cup to a country that is prepared to take it on, that can put on a good event, that doesn't have as much baggage as Russia with the racism or Qatar with the kafala system. We're going to we're going to give the World Cup to these countries in the belief that it will fix these problems because Zeppelin desperately wants that <laughs> he desperately wants that Nobel Peace Prize. He so desperately wants it. Also decided uh, also decided by FIFA, the World Cup in 2026 20, will be de- decided the host for World Cup 2026 will be decided in May of 2017. So set your calendars for that because that's the World Cup that the United States is going to be targeting again. All uh, all signs point to the United States making a full go of it. And the only wrinkle for that I can see is China. China wants in. China's got a whole new program trying to raise soccer players. We talked about that a couple weeks back. If they're going to make it a full push here, we know they've, they've obviously uh, uh, really pushed hard to get international events like the Olympics. I don't know. Can the United States beat out China? Because it's not necessarily about who's the better host. It's about who football will change the most. Maybe it will change China. Champions League draw today. Quarterfinal draw should be good. Looking forward to that. No idea how that's going to shake out, but I'm sure we will get some interesting matchups, and we will cover them here as they come out. Everton, the last English team in Europe, is no longer in Europe. They have crashed out of the Europa League. That's not that's not good for Roberto Martinez and company. No. Trevor says that game was insane. I did not watch that game. Everton goes out to Dynamo uh, Dynamo Dino Kiyas, Dynamo Dynamo. Trevor. Dynamo or Dynamo? Tell me. Which one? I can never I never remember sure. I'm gonna go with Dynamo. Looks like Dynamo. I'll say Dynamo. Goes out to Dynamo Kiev. Obviously they had some issues in the home leg. They came back, but it wasn't uh it wasn't the kind of um result that they needed at home. <laughs> and then they go to and then they go to Ukraine and they lose five two. <laughs> well, that's not good. That's not good at all. Kiev scored some insane goals. How, ter- uh, Tim Howard had a terrible day, and Everton is no more. I'm going to mention the schedule for the weekend. Very much looking to El Clasico. Looking forward to El Clasico. Which, by the way, if you if you don't have access to it, if you don't know where you can find BN Sport, I'm going to tell you Dishworld.com, fantastic streaming service, and get it on all of your devices. It will give you access to BN Sport, which gi- which gives you access to El Clasico. And right now, as we speak, videos are leaking out of Ray Hudson. At uh, in Barcelona, visiting the Camp Nou, having a good old time, being his uh, being his lyrical self, and enjoying it. It, it. It's it's his mecca. It is Barcelona is Ray Hudson's mecca. Leon goalkeeper William Yarbrough, called up by the United States, has accepted the call up. It's a bit surprising from everything we've heard, especially on this show from our friends uh, down in Mexico, Eric Gomez, and the like. Uh, clearly Tom Marshall as well. Clearly Arborough is both American and Mexican. And when it comes to these issues, it's not as black and white as we like to make it out to be. He may feel more Mexican. He's lived his whole life in Mexico, but he certainly got roots in America. His parents are Texan and he's decided to accept the call up. It may be a matter of, you know, expediency, which country's going to give me a shot. Miguel Herrera has commented on this situation. He said, when pressed, that he will not call up Yarbrough to quote-unquote outmaneuver the U.S. So there's that. 
I don't know if that's a principled stand or a matter of practicality for Miguel Herrera. He's not ready to call up William Yarborough, and the United States is. Because Jurgen Klinsmann cares not for how these things are supposed to go. I'm not saying that Yarborough is not ready. I don't think that's the issue at all. I don't think that Gideon's LLM is ready, but that's a different discussion for another day. Miguel Herrera may have also said that there are 10 better keepers in Mexico. I'm, I'm a little unclear on the, on the translation here. And I've had some people come at me on Twitter who's saying that Miguel Herrera said there are 10 better keepers in Mexico. I saw it translated in a, in a story that he said there are 10 comparable keepers, essentially, in Mexico. Or 10 other keepers who could get called up. I'm not sure if that's meant as a slight to William Yarborough, a slight to the United States. I have no idea. We can maybe get that fleshed out a little bit later on in the show. All right. The USL season starts tomorrow. 2015, 24 teams, lots of stuff going on in that tier of American soccer. And to talk about it all, Jake Edwards, new president of USL, will join us in just a second. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. You're talking too loud. Every soccer fan in the world knows that the biggest match of the year is El Clasico between Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's your chance to witness Cristiano Ronaldo, Lido Messi, and more of the greatest players in the world. The best way to watch is with Dish World and their exclusive broadcast from BN Sports. Dish World is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch El Clasico, plus La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dish World. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss El Clasico on Sunday, March 22nd. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. On the phone line with me now, ahead of the start of the 2015 USL season, new president, Jake Edwards. Hi, Jake. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Are you, uh, do you have a, a, a tangible buzz about you today with the season getting underway tomorrow? Yeah, I've been I've been buzzing since oh, I don't know when last year. Uh, you know, once we uh, knew all these new clubs were coming into the league, and and you know the league's been improving year on year, but to have uh, such a crop of new and exciting uh, clubs uh, taking the field this weekend and and, and next weekend as well. Uh, yeah, we're 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 thrilled over here. We're really excited to watch these games. You know, I've I obviously asked your predecessor about the growth of USL. You've added, as you said, a lot of teams coming into 2015. Some of that. Most of that built on the back of the MLS partnership. Um, is there? Are you a little nervous, maybe, about the the growth of the league year over year, and and how the just how much bigger things are going to be? Well, I hope we don't grow by thirteen clubs every off season because <laughs> that would make me nervous. But uh, I don't see that happening. But it's yeah, it's been a tremendous off season. Uh, thirteen uh, new clubs, some great organizations uh, that have been in the game for many years. Uh, 
and some uh, starting out from scratch, some new organizations who thus far in pre-season games have, have done extremely well. So the um, it bodes well. We're very excited. The ticket sales are, are very strong. We've already had uh, a number of sellouts confirmed for the, for the opening games uh, this week and next weekend. So we are, yeah, certainly looking forward to that. Um, we, we, you know, we made sure we were well prepared uh, for such a growth. Um, you know, this is, this is, you're going to see this for the 2015 season, but all, you know, all the legwork has been, uh, goes back a few years uh, in terms of um, getting the league uh, into a position where it can handle such a, such a sort of step change in, in how we do things. Uh, you know, internally we've made a, we've had a lot of uh, new hires. We've restructured the organisation, added a lot of new departments, uh, new departments such as club services departments, commercial departments. You know, expansion. So we, we're ready operationally. We've brought a lot of new staff on, so we're ready to handle it. Um, you know, we, you know, we want to make sure that as you have uh, these new organisations coming in. That, uh, that they have the best possible experience and we can service them in the, in the right way uh, and, 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 you know, keep the league moving forward. But, I, you know, we're looking at sort of year-on-year -year growth um, with independent organizations uh, wanting to join the league. We've got a number of announcements we're going to be making in the, in the next couple of months and there, are, uh, there will be more MLS uh, clubs that, that want to follow in the footsteps of initially the Galaxy, but follow in the footsteps of the of the now eight MLS uh, mm -hmm. clubs that are in our league as well. So there will be continued growth, uh, which is which is exciting and it's just good for the game. Uh, you know, I'm going to come back to uh, the start of the new season. Obviously, uh, the addition of all of those clubs and, as you said, the independent groups uh, coming on is is a good sign for American soccer. Period. But certainly for USL. But but I've got to ask you about taking the reins from Tim Holt. I, I think it came as a surprise. I, I talked to Tim a couple of days before his resignation was announced. Um, were you you know were you aware of this that this was coming? Is this something that you had prepared yourself for? Obviously, being a vice president, you're always uh, you're in a position of, of leadership anyway. But how how much of a transition is this for you personally? Yeah, you know it was uh, you know part of. Why I joined the organization uh, was the, the opportunity to work with, with the people here. Uh, there were some outstanding individuals here. And to work under Tim, uh, who obviously, as you said, was the president and had um, a sort of a, quite a wide range of responsibilities. And when I came on board as vice president, I was to oversee um, the uh, sort of growth and strategic direction of the Pro League, the USL Pro, as it was then known. Um, so I, got to, I had the pleasure to work under Tim, and, and that was... Um, you know, a part of why I came here as well to work with someone like Tim, who's a fantastic sports executive, um, well, well respected throughout the industry, and he's been in the USL for uh, you know nearly eight, seventeen or eighteen years. So mm -hmm. he certainly has, you know, worked his way all the way to the top uh, and had some fantastic uh, institutional knowledge. Very, very smart, smart man, and and a real passion for the game and and for USL. So it was a privilege and a pleasure to work with him every day. No, I didn't have a. Uh, I had no idea. Um, we, you know, I, I think it'd been on his mind for for some time that he was, uh, you know, he'd got, you know, he played such an instrumental role in getting the league to uh, such a strong place that, uh, you know, I think he was, you know, the, the time had come, and you can't, uh, you know, you can't profess profess to know another man's uh, reasoning. Everybody has their own decisions why they do things, mm -hmm. and, and I know Tim uh, was at that point where he wanted to seek. Uh, a new opportunity and a new challenge and, and um, so it was short-lived my time with uh, working with Tim and I, I certainly wish I could have worked with him a lot longer but uh, I learned a lot from him in the short space of time and certainly wish him well and, and uh, uh, you know f feel um, 
you know, I take I take a lot of his um, uh, learnings and some of, and a lot of the way he managed things. I take that with me and mm-hmm. uh, into this new role. I uh, feel well prepared for it, as prepared as you can be. There, there's a lot of new things I'm now uh, dealing with that I wasn't before, as it relates to the company and some of the other other properties and oversight of a, a number of new things, which is really exciting. Great opportunity uh, for myself, and you know the, the league is in such a good place now that. Uh, the transition was pretty seamless, uh, and so we've added a bunch of new layers and some real talented individuals have come on board at the USL. So it, it's uh, it's in really good shape. He leaves us in in great shape. Uh, one of the things that happened just before Tim left was the uh, unveiling of the the rebrand of the of USL Pro, the the, the top division, obviously, and the um, the intention to apply for Division Two status with US Soccer. Now I. Harped a little bit on that with him. He wasn't. He, he didn't really want to focus on that. He wanted to focus on other things. I'm not sure if you'll take the same tact. But I have to ask you if that plan is still, uh, you know, still in motion. And, and what is it about USL, and specifically what you see now as president, that that will get that get the league get USL's top division, professional division, to a second division status with US Soccer? Well, you know, in terms of. What gets us there? It's obviously it's uh, you, you've got to meet the requirements first and foremost. You've got to meet those standards. Um, uh, that's pretty cut and dry. Um, so we believe in the vast majority of cases, our clubs and the league itself meet those requirements. And in any areas where we don't, we're, we're working to address those right now. Um, yes, it's absolutely still the plan. And yes, as Tim alluded to, it was part of uh, a number of initiatives. Um, going forward for the league in terms of the league we want to be. Uh, we've worked hard over the last few years as, as a league and as, as, a, as, a, as a collective group of clubs to uh, continually improve the products on the field, the match the experience, the venues, the quality of the ownership groups. And so we feel over the last season or two we've, we've been operating at a, uh, that sort of level, at the appropriate level, and we will continue to do so and, and, and aspire to exceed um, those levels. Uh, so uh, you know, we get to a point where you think if we're meeting the standards or f- in large part meeting all of those standards set out for, for, the, uh, for the second division, then mm-hmm. um, then why not apply for sanctioning and get um, uh, whatever benefits there may be from from that uh, from that from that status? And, and it was unanimous uh, from all of our club owners uh, that that's the direction they wanted to go. And, if, and the club owners themselves felt there would be a lot of value to them. Uh, value to their businesses, value to their clubs in their markets, um, to have second division sanctioning if indeed they meet all the requirements and uh, they felt that most of them, the vast majority did. So certainly that's still our intention. We're doing a lot of work now to put that application together. It'll be going in over the next couple of months uh, into the federation. And it's a long process, mm-hmm. a lot of due diligence on their part, which is uh, quite right. And, uh, you know, we're, we're targeting a 2017 um, uh, move, but, uh, you know, a lot of work to do in, in the meantime. Um, but, you know, it's part of a, it's part, it's part of a new, um, uh, you know, new, just new, uh, new position for the league. It's our new identity, new vision uh, in terms of how we want to operate, what level we want to be at, uh, you know, and that all came out of the rebrand. What is the with uh, with MLS? Obviously, uh, the partnership uh, adding several teams this year. Um, it, it looks like this is going to be good for MLS. I, I'm maybe less clear, and I and and I'll ask you directly what whether or not it's good for USL, and what specifically about that partnership is good for USL. 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, uh, I can speak from the league's point of view, and I think all our clubs probably should should get involved in that conversation as well as how they benefit. Certainly, if the clubs are having affiliations, how they benefit from that in terms of the quality of the player that they're getting on loan uh, and the contribution those players are making to their uh, to their product to their match and to their bottom line. Um, uh, the clubs that are um, owned and operated by MLS uh, clubs, obviously, are seeing benefits on both fronts, both as uh, you know technical developments or te- the opportunity for some of their um, some of their uh, players and and some of their uh, future stars and, and some of their under 23, under 20 national team players in the U.S. and Canada that are playing in these MLS clubs that may just be on the periphery, but have got a great future ahead of them. Now they're getting a you know, they're getting a 30-game season in a professional league in front of, you know, thousands of people in these venues and games that really matter, and that development is priceless for them. Uh, so from, a, from from that point of view, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a great thing for the players, uh, not just for the MLS clubs, uh, but for the MLS clubs, it's a business opportunity as well. Um, so, you know, to, and a lot of them are making heavily investments. You can see, for example, Real Monarchs and a number of the other clubs are making heavy investments in new stadiums, uh, Putting a lot of uh, resources behind it to market it. A lot of them sold out the games already, so there's a there's a real business opportunity there for those guys too, for their clubs. Um, you know, for our league, it's it's um, it's 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 beneficial on a number of fronts. Obviously, uh, as you as you expand, um, you know, you're expanding the footprint, the number of clubs that come in the league, whether they're MLS or not. But you know, with the MLS clubs coming in, it's an additional amount of clubs that are populating the league, uh, getting our league more the National League, but it helps us get to that more regional conference-based uh, structure, mm-hmm. uh, which helps all of the clubs ultimately reduce the travel, um, build mm-hmm. some of those local rivalries. And you're getting some great names, some great organizations, some great brands coming in your league that you're going to play against now. You're playing against, uh, in addition to you know, the, the, the Charleston Batteries, the Rochester Rhinos, the Richmond Kickers, these really historic uh, USL clubs, you've now, you're now getting the opportunity to play against the Red Bulls, and you're playing against Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, Seattle and Portland, and so now that adds in a whole other level of uh, interest and excitement and spice, uh, media attention, and and ultimately value. It drives value for the clubs, for our clubs as well. Uh, you know, it's attractive. We're seeing more uh, ownership uh, interest in our league than we ever have before. So, um, and that's that's on because due to a number of fronts, of course. Um, uh, but uh, obviously, one of the one of those is now you're playing against. You're getting the opportunity to play against. Um, some of the MLS clubs and you know uh, as well for the coaches and the players you know this is I talk about our league as an aspirational league it's a it's a a healthy robust professional soccer league but it's an aspirational league as well you know and so you've got some of the uh, you've got some great players in the league that have had great careers and are making a good living out of out of professional soccer outside of the top division but you've also got some of the next generation you've got some under 23 under 20 national team players uh, from the U.S. and Canada, they're getting the opportunity to play week in, week out, and you can see uh, these guys playing. These guys are coming to your town to play, and you're going to see the next best players in the MLS and the national team over the next few years mm-hmm. coming to coming to St. Louis, coming to Tulsa, coming to uh, Oklahoma City, and, and and you're going to their stadium. So, uh, so as a player, you know, if I go back to my playing days, now you now you're in the shop window, so to speak. You're going. You're under the eye of the uh, of the top league uh, all the time, and the national programs all the time now. So, it's a great opportunity for players that are playing in our league to um, have a great professional career. But also, you know, you you're being evaluated all the time, and that goes to the coaches too. You see a lot of 
uh, great coaches coming out of some of the top universities, coming out of the MLS clubs, and uh, really learning their trade as head coaches in the USL, which is fantastic as well. So it adds a lot of value, I think, on a number of fronts for the players, for the for the owners of the clubs, mm-hmm. uh, and for the league as well. I think it has a huge amount of value. Is there is there anything? I mean, when you look at that, when you look at that picture, and and clearly some the MLS owned and operated clubs may have different goals with their USL programs than the independent clubs like the Kickers or the Rhinos. Uh, do you have any concerns about competitive balance within the league when you consider, you know, again, sort of divergent uh, d- divergent intentions with these teams? Uh, I, I don't have concerns at all, but there are, you're right. There are different goals. Uh, everyone's got different goals for this, uh, you know, for, for, for how they approach their professional club. Um, uh, you know, Richmond Kickers' goals will, will be different than FC Montreal's goals, let's say. Um, different to Real Salt Lakes, uh, who are, as I said, building an 8,000-seat stadium and, and, and looking to sell that out week on week and week. Um, so, I, 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 you know, we totally understand um, where that is, but equally we have Orlando City uh, in the league for four years. Their goals uh, were very different than um, uh, Charlotte's goals, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't really matter whether you're an MLS team or not. Uh, they've all got different goals and aspirations, and we'll, we'll work towards those in different ways. So in terms of a sort of competitive balance, no, I think there'll be, in terms of the number of clubs, it'll, mm-hmm. be, it'll, be, it'll always skew towards the majority of clubs being uh, independently owned and operated clubs versus the MLS uh, uh, clubs that are coming in the league. And, uh, and, and, and they will. They'll, the MLS clubs that are in the league will have... Um, uh, uh, you know, a, a different way of going about it, and um, uh, but believe me, uh, they are uh, seeing the opportunity here in terms of long-term growth and value of, of their uh, franchise, of their club, and um, that goes beyond the uh, benefits on the technical side. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how they approach these, I can tell you that once they cross the white line. Uh, you want to win. Sure. Uh, yes. All, all of them want to win. So it's it's they're putting the they'll get the balance between making sure all their elite players um, are playing and developing and and, and and are ready one day for the call up to the first team. So you strike the balance between that and wanting to represent your brand and win. And uh, you know, a great example of that last season with uh, LA Galaxy, mm-hmm. who. Uh, had a great season, got to the semi-finals, and uh, lost out in, in, in an amazing game up at Sacramento in front of a full house. And they were absolutely devastated yeah, about yes, that. Right. You know, they wanted to get all the way through to the finals. So once you cross that white line, whether you're a coach or a player, believe me, they're, they're going to put out the best possible uh, product they can because they want to win. You know, Jake, the the history of, um, and I'm just to use lower division as an umbrella term, but the history of lower division soccer in the United States is littered with clubs who came and went. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, one of the, the major tasks for any league is to keep these teams solvent, to keep them going. Uh, you obviously have legacy clubs like the Kickers and the Battery and the Dynamo and that's, uh, or sorry, the, uh, uh, the Rhinos. And those, those teams don't seem to be going anywhere. But when you bring in new clubs, whether they are independent, uh, when they are independent, because I'm assuming the MLS clubs can keep themselves running, um, how do you make sure that you are, that you're putting in place a team that's not going to be here for four or five seasons and then drop off the face of the planet? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's, that's, you know, that's the key to the future and the success of, of, of the, uh, of all, all the divisions, you know, and ultimately the, 
the top division and the national team. You've got to have a healthy, robust, and stable lower league system. Um, and you know, my background up from from being in the UK and playing over in the football league for many years is that's uh, that's a bedrock and that's the foundation of the Premier League is the football league and the three divisions below. But that doesn't mean that some of those teams don't come and go, uh, which they do. So. You've got to you've got to get that right, and historically um, it hasn't been right. Uh, we're very fortunate to have, like you said, teams like the Rhinos, uh, the Kickers, uh, uh, Charleston, going 20 up to 20 years, and uh, we've got a number of clubs that have been going 10 and 15 years now. So they, they, they these guys are, are doing a great job, but but the new teams that are coming in. Um, uh, We've got to get that right, and it's the, the key is just the ownership. The key is absolutely the ownership. We're only as good as a league. We're only as good as the clubs we've got, uh, and the ownership behind those clubs. Uh, we do have some fantastic clubs. We have some of the biggest clubs outside of MLS playing playing in our league. We're very proud of that, um, and that's all. That's all due to the the quality of the guys running those clubs. Uh, go back a few years. It was it was a bit like the Wild West. You know, teams are coming and going, and and. Um, uh, but the league, the league, it was a different time then. Now, you know, we focused the last sort of four years on stabilizing this league. So, um, you know, we, we, we weren't making a big noise about what we were doing. We weren't trying to aspire to too, to too many uh, lofty goals. We wanted to get the foundation right and the structure right and the due diligence and the, and the, and the processes we go through um, to screen out the, the owners. So it's far more robust now than it's ever been. And, and we are in the sort of enviable position now that due to many of the things we're doing, we're attracting some really great ownership groups. And a lot of these guys that are coming on board now have owned and operated uh, American Hockey League teams, uh, NBA D-League teams, you know, minor league baseball teams. So they absolutely know how to uh, own and operate and sell sports at, at a very high level. And these guys are committed, you know, so the, the, you know, the, the kind of groups that we're talking to now, uh, we spend a lot of time evaluating them, evaluating the business plan, the net worth, the stadium plan. They've all got to come in the league now with their stadium plan to build a soccer-specific stadium. We give them a couple of years to get there. But, you know, so the criteria now is, is such a, it's such a different um, standard than it used to be. But, um, you know, we feel it's, it's critically important to us and to any league that you don't have turnover. That's not to say it'll never happen, but you know you see that in, in all the leagues. You know, even at the top division, have had some turnover. Uh, but um, it, you know, it, we, we're putting in some very robust uh, uh, sort of due diligence me um, measures to uh, to avoid that situation. It's crucial for the for the sort of stability, not just of the league, but the sport, really. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's a paramount concern. Well, but like I said, we're in a good spot with the guys that are coming in now. Well, to that, to that point, Jake, um, uh, you know, the, you mentioned that the, the, these guys have um, uh, often had times have experience running clubs and in, in what, you know, the minor leagues of other sports perhaps is the way to say it. And there's certainly yeah. a, a, a method to selling minor, quote unquote minor league sports in the United States that is different than selling the, the, the major league and, and obviously, American soccer is a very fluid type of environment. It, 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 it probably won't solidify into a stratified system for a very long time. But when you, when you go out and you talk to these owners, are they intending to sell their product like it's a, a minor league product? Or are they, because of the way that the rest of the world works with soccer, and obviously we don't have movement between divisions here, but there is a notion that you have to act, you know, you have to act like you're big time in order to, to, to get the people in the front door when it comes to this sport? Yeah, it's an interesting one because the sort of in the vernacular in the U.S. landscape, if you talk about minor league sports uh, in, in context of hockey and basketball or baseball, 
uh, it makes sense. And there's no there's no kind of uh, derogatory kind of co uh, connotations with that, right? Um, but for some reason, when you talk about soccer in in those same terms, uh, you feel like you're devaluing the product somehow. Right. Yeah. You're devaluing it. So it's 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 slightly interesting that it doesn't come straight over. So. No, look. When when we're talking to owners, it's it's about um, it's about the vision of where we want to go as a league um, and and what we want to achieve, and it's about the relationship we have with um, with the with Major League Soccer, the top division, and so and it's about the the um, you know the, the the I guess the opportunity for those guys as well for the owners. Some of them want to come in, like I said before, different they have different goals and visions, and and, and some may talk about. You know, one day we aspire to get into the MLS, um, you know, vital Orlando City or Sacramento. We're doing that at the moment, um, and uh, and that's great. That's fine. You know, that that helps them, um, attracts them, and helps them go go through the process locally with local government and and investors and etc. But uh, all of them that want to come on board have to be 100% committed and focused on the USL and being part of the league and helping to not just be a club in the league, but helping to uh, carry the league forward and, and, and take the league on uh, and add value to the discussions we have and the meetings and add value to the league. So when we look at these ownership groups, it's not just do you have the net worth or do you have a plan to build a stadium. It's all the other intangibles. You know, what kind of character are they? What are they going to do in that room when we get together as a board of governors? Are they going to be disruptive or are they going to be um, uh, add value? to where we want to go um, and to the groups. So a lot, of, a lot of things we have to sort of evaluate with, with, with the groups as they come on board. Um, but no, look, it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thorough process we go through. And, um, you know, we, we talk about the league in, in not in those kind of terms, you know, minor league sports, uh, minor league. Um, but we are realistic. You know, we, we, we're an aspirational league. We're a league that has a vision in terms of the league we want to be. Where we are now will be very different than where we are in two, three, five years from now, and I think the owners get that. They see a long-term value. They see, they see growth uh, uh, in their markets. They see the opportunity to become a real cultural, a uh, community cultural hub of the community, uh, build a stadium, plant some roots, and be there for a long time and add a lot of value to their community. So they're doing it for a lot of different reasons. Uh, they see, they see that, um, you know, and obviously. Uh, you know, it's attracting a lot of them to the to what we uh, what we're doing at the moment, and and uh, you know MLS is just a different kettle of fish in terms of the kind of uh, investment you need right. to join that club. Um, but it's not to say that you can't get there uh, one day if you do things if you do it the right way. Uh, you know, if you build a fan base, you build the community, you build your support, your commercial uh, partners, and your stadium, and then you know maybe that's an opportunity for you down the road. Um, so. Let's uh, let's come back to the 2015 season before I have to let you go, Jake, and, and just talk about the launch. Uh, two games tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, Charleston hosting TFC2 and Seattle hosting the Sacramento Republic, the defending champion, obviously. Um, you have a game on Sunday, and then when the schedule gets underway, you're, you're going to have, and, and I think you're obviously realizing this uh, based on, on last year with L.A., and then you know as these new teams come again, you're going to have Fans who are in, fans of those independent clubs, who, that's their team. Their their local team is Charlotte or Charleston or or Rochester. And then you're going to have those MLS fans, maybe, who are taking taking in the the reserve teams match, uh, so to speak, in in with LA two and and the like. Are fans going to be able to 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 get access to your games on a regular basis? How good is that going to be for USL this season? 
Yeah, you know, the, uh, it, it's crucial. And yes, they will. I mean, all of the games will be streamed live uh, in HD uh, and, for, and available for free via the partnership we have with YouTube uh, on the YouTube Sports Channel. Um, this season, you'll be able to go to your particular club and watch it via the club's YouTube channel. Um, we will be in the future bringing all that in, under one roof, but for this season, you can follow your particular club. Uh, you can also go to the league's website at uslsoccer.com and look at the schedule, and you'll be able to click onto all of the games to watch them live. Um, the ability to watch these games uh, is uh, is crucial. And last season, we had tremendous uh, uh, a tremendous amount of watch parties um, back in the visiting teams' market at local pubs, etc. And in large part, they were all hugely successful, but there was, uh, you know, you get some hiccups along the way. So um, our teams produce all of their own games. So a lot of them use outside broadcast companies to come and do that. Um, so you're in the hands of, of, of the clubs, so to speak. But these, you know, we spend a lot of time with them continually throughout the year and in the off season on production, uh, production elements, production quality. Um, and so... We're excited this year um, because this year, as I said, everything is in, in full HD. We had maybe one or two that weren't in HD last year, which was um, very unusual. But now, uh, from what I've seen from all the preseason uh, test broadcasts that we've had them do, uh, they, they look great. And uh, you know, so I think uh, I think the, the visual product is going to be is going to be is going to be uh, pretty compelling. But it's something we evaluate every year because it's so critical that. In a country the size of the of the, of, of the U.S. And, and Canada, you're not going to get to travel to all the games yet. You know, it's part of the sort of regional growth. And, and happy to see 100 plus fans from Tarabridge Battalion, Sacramento, making the 11-hour trip up north to uh, Seattle to watch that game. But I'd like to see more of that. Our fans traveling. But in the meantime, we've got to get those broadcasts um, uh, to, to the highest possible quality. So. We are doing that. YouTube's been a great partner. We've really worked with us uh, behind the scenes to, to and, and with our clubs to improve those broadcasts year on year. Um, but we constantly evaluate, uh, you know, that uh, the, the sort of media and digital opportunity. We're putting a lot of emphasis on that this year. It's it's your, it's it's the beyond your website. It's the it's the you know it's the one thing that people see about your club and about your league. So you've got to get it right. But. Uh, we, we'll keep investing heavily into that, but I'm really excited. I think it, the product will be really good this year on the broadcasts. USL President Jake Edwards joining us ahead of the 2015 season gets underway tomorrow with a couple of games, a game on Sunday, and then they really get going uh, the week following. Uh, Jake, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Congratulations on the new season and all the success at USL and on, the, on your new job. Thanks so much, Jason. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time and for the opportunity yeah, to talk a little bit about the USL and about our beautiful game. There you Thanks go. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Matthew Rappo from Red Bull Out. We'll find out what that's all about. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Every soccer fan in the world knows that the biggest match of the year is El Clasico between Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's your chance to witness Cristiano Ronaldo, Lido Messi, and more of the greatest players in the world. The best way to watch is with Dish World and their exclusive broadcast from BN Sports. Dish World is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch El Clasico, plus La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America. 
as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dish World. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss El Clasico on Sunday, March 22nd. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. We are moving on. We're going to talk to Matthew Rappo from Red Bull out here in a second. I did want to mention that Champions League quarterfinal draw is out. I didn't even realize it had already been done. PSG, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, so that's fun. Porto and Bayern Munich and Juve and Monaco. So there you go. Uh, Matthew is on the line. Hey, Matthew, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? So, Matthew, um, first of all, do you have a title? Are you uh, president, uh, CEO, uh, Grand Poobah of Red Bull Alpha? I, I mean, you know, I think of it more as a communist collective. But, you know, if anything, <laughs> uh, I consider myself like an art director designer. Okay. Is that, of, is, that, uh, Red Bull Alpha. is that really a selling point? If you, No, I'm just kidding. All right. So, so <laughs> give, me a, give me a background on Red Bull Out. Tell me when it started, why it started, because I think that – you know, people can identify, soccer fans from around the world can identify with frustration that emanates from bad direction, bad leadership at the top, especially if you feel like somebody's got control of your team. You're, you have no, you have no say in the matter and they're taking it in a bad direction. Why did this start? I mean, you know, just to be completely and totally clear, um, anti-Red Bull sentiment has been around since they purchased the team and rebranded it to, uh, from the Metro Stars to, uh, Red Bull in New York or New York Red Bull, you know, depending on who you are. The only thing that we did was give it a hashtag. Um, it started, um, obviously, you know, like when Mike Petty got fired. Um, a fan, you know, like was so upset about it that he went ahead and started a Indiegogo fundraiser to build a, uh, a build, you know, giving tribute to Petty and also just calling for, you know, just saying, you know, Red Bull, you, you keep on messing up. Um, you know, like a bunch of us, uh, you know, like got together and talked about that we had the same sentiment. And then it evolved from, you know, like uh, being anti-Petty to, you know, something that was, you know, bigger and more that this team, you know, keeps on making the same mistakes. Uh, eight coach, nine years, eight coaches, seven general managers. We have a reboot, you know, like every two, three years. No stability, um, and really no voice or, you know, like, identity within the community. So, so wait, wait. I, I, I just want to make this clear and for anybody who may not, you know, who, who may who may have the wrong impression. This isn't necessarily about investment in the team, then. No, I mean the the, the team itself, you know, like has you know been responsible for, you know, in my opinion, the most beautiful uh, soccer-specific stadium in the United States. You know, like a wonderful training facility, but 2015 in the MLS, that is no longer, you know. You know, like a five, you know, that's no longer the most important thing that you can be doing. You know, you need to be doing more than that. You need to be investing in players, investing in coaches, and, you know, giving them enough time to build a team and, you know, like a unified vision instead of, you know, just blowing it up every, every two years. Is this, uh, you sort of identified this as, uh, <laughs> you said communist collective. I'm not sure if that's entirely joking, but it, clearly there's some sort of, amorphous form of Red Bull out. This isn't, we're not talking about role, membership roles or anything like that. You're not an organized group. It's just, 
sort of a a, a grassroots fan movement to uh, to send a message. Exactly. Well, if that's the case, what kind of what kind of impact do you think you can actually have? I'm not trying to minimize the effort, and clearly fans should have a voice when it comes to these things. But you know, Red Bull's got a lot of money. There has to be a buyer in line to take over the club if they decide to get out of the, the MLS business. How do you actually Im- uh, impact their thinking with Red Bull out? Um, you know, the one thing that we need to do that has not been done you know, since I've been following the team, you know, like way back in the day as the Metrostars, is, you know, putting public pressure on there. Um, they're, you know, like the way that, you know, like I see being a fan is that you need to, you know, like obviously, you know, go out and support the team, but call them out, you know, when they're, you know, making the same mistakes over and over again. How we've, you know, gone about doing that is obviously the billboard, our continuing, you know, social media presence and, uh, you know, continue to place a frustration. And uh, we've been organizing a merchandise boycott, and that's a big part of uh, making our effort more targeted towards their bottom line. Well, fans not be able to cancel their uh, tickets this year, um, even though they're upset. What we can do is, you know, make sure that they're not, you know, purchasing jerseys, they're not, you know, like purchasing anything, you know, in the stadium if they decide to go to game. And, uh, you know, when it comes to midseason, you know, like we are planning a strong campaign to discourage fans from renewing them for next year. It, the, the part of this, I would imagine, from your perspective, and, and it certainly is a case in a lot of MLS cities, is that there's just a lack of of real media pressure on these teams to get it right. I mean, there's a couple of guys on the beat at Red Bull Arena. There are, you know, there obviously are fans out on social media and the like. But it's not like it's not like the Times, the Post are, are coming down on this team for failing year over year. It's pretty much more like they're ignored. And with NYCFC coming in, I, I suppose that that all of this is taking on an, an even uh, even on a, an even bigger frustration level for for the fans. Yeah, and this is you know where for me it gets you know really perverse. Um, Mark the Grand Prix, uh, the current uh, marketing director, his second stint with the team. You know, he's the guy who fired Bruce Arena back in two thousand seven. They hired him back. You know, so good job, Red Bull. Um, <laughs> he. You know, like I constantly said that, you know, New York City FC is a great thing. It's good for competition. And his marketing campaign, his idea for marketing direction is to just, you know, like hitch a ride on New York City. Like every single time you read an article on the Post or Daily News or New York Times or BBC, it'll be, you know, New York City FC is finally given, you know, like a voice to, you know, like a real soccer team to New York City. You know, there is a second team in, you know, the New York Red Bulls, and then that's how they're going to get it. They are going to be a second, they're going to get secondary mentions on, you know, like New York City FC articles. Even when they are, you know, doing great things in the community, like uh, building a, you know, like uh, renovating a soccer field on the Lower East Side, you know, like three-fourths of the article is about uh, New York City FC. You know. I mean, they've had, you know, like 20 years to, you know, like put, an effort, you know, 10 years with the Metro Stars, nine years with the Red Bulls to, like, you know, really brand themselves as New York City's team. But with the Red Bulls, all it is is just weakness. They haven't done enough. All right, so so we've got a, we've got a hashtag. We've got a, red, a website, RedBullOut.com. Um, you've got a, a Twitter handle, at RedBullOut, I believe. What else? What else can you do? I mean, I, I, I don't know that social media, and, and you're just not going to get enough 
momentum there to really to really make a dent. I mean, unless you get thousands and thousands of fans on board, and I'm not sure that there's enough engaged people to to make that happen. Uh, are you going to are we going to have picket lines out out front of uh, of Red Bull Arena? Are you going to? I mean, what? I, I know you said the that the merchandise boycott is ongoing or, or getting started. What what else can you do? I mean, the one thing that we you know are going to be doing this week and is that uh, we will uh, we will be visible uh, this Sunday. I can tell you that much. Um, you're going to be visible. You're going to be visible in Red Bull Arena. We are going to be visible in Red Bull Arena. And we're going to be visible outside Red Bull Arena. All right. Is and there, that's all I'm going to say. Okay, so uh, are we talking about a, a plane pulling a message a la Manchester United, or is this something else? <laughs> I don't want you to give up your plans, Matthew, but but I am I am curious because this is look we've had we've had some little fan movements before. And I'm not again I'm not trying to minimize these things. It's, it's more of a a function of how of where MLS is in the greater sporting culture than anything else. But we've had little movements. I mean. The San Jose uh, Earthquakes Supporters Group, 1806 Ultra, is constantly in trouble. They're making stands. Um, you know, there's uh, the the riot squad in L.A. got got sanctioned by the team, and there's been support around the league. Remember a couple years ago, D.C. United got some fans around the league to support them when it came to the stadium push. But we just don't see these things really come up the way that they would in in Europe, clearly, or in Mexico, or in South America. And I, and I just... I'm curious how you think, you know, wh- whether you think you guys can break through to actually make your voices heard in a way that, that most MLS fans never have. I mean, you know, the one thing that you know, like we are going to be doing is just, you know, keep on, keep on doing what we're doing. You know, like we are planning on, you know, like uh, putting out, you know, more billboards, you know, during the year and, you know, just uh, keeping, uh, you know, pressure visibly like within the stadium, within the metro area and uh, on social media. And that's all we can do at this point. Uh, do you have um, is is Mike Pecky on on board? Can you get Mike Pecky? I'm just I'm trying to I'm trying to to brainstorm here. I, I'm curious what what else you can uh, what else you can do when it comes to uh, I don't know uh, getting some names attached. Uh, is it, do you feel like do you think this is a tough sell to a lot of Red Bull fans? Are they more casual in the sense that they're just willing to let? let the uh, corporation go on the way that they've been? Or do you think, feel like there is a, a real bubbling sentiment with the average Red Bull fan that it's time to push this group out? I would say that there is a hundred percent, you know, a sentiment within the uh, Red Bull fan base that they're just you know, like completely and totally frustrated. And this is not, you know, like just, you know, old guard holdovers, you know, from the Metro Stars days. This is, you know, like recent fans, you know, from the, as early as, the stadium being opened in 2010, they've seen uh, three coaches, you know, like since that's open. Um, instability is not a selling point for any team. I can tell you that much. There's also a sense, and in, in certainly outside of New York, and, and I'm imagining with the fans as well, that the Rebels have a reputation for not taking advantage of what is a, a very rich soccer talent hotbed up there in, in, in Jersey and, and in New York. And uh, we've had this turnover with guys who are signed as homegrown players and then never see the field and are pushed right out the door. Um, is, is some of that frustration related to maybe that as well, that the that the team is, look, they, they've got an academy. There's obviously talented players in there, but they're not really figuring out a way to, to leverage those local kids who, you know, more than anything else, when we talk about soccer, we want, we want our local kids to be representing their hometown teams. 100%. 
Um, you know, like there's a lot of frustration that comes into that as well. With, you know, Red Bull, since the time I've been following, it's just been nothing but, you know, like uh, South Americans that are a bit long into two thin, you know, like, you know, mid 30 year old Scandinavians. As much as, you know, I loved uh, TT on reading, like up in there and in the first year, Tim Cagle, it's nice to have, you know, like your Juana Agadellos and your Matt Miazgas and your Connor Waves, you know, finally up and uh, playing, you know, at, at the arena. So I can only hope that uh, Red Bull 2 is going to alleviate that problem, but uh, I'm still skeptical. All right, here's a question for you, Matthew, before I let you go. This is from Mike on Twitter, Thomas191064. Mm-hmm. He says, why wouldn't an upset fan just switch to the NYCFC or to the New York Cosmos? <sighs> See, that's the problem. You know, as I said before, there's a lot of different types of fan devotion and I'm not the type of guy that, you know, is just going to, you know, quit on a team with over, you know, like about 15 years of, you know, fan support. And I'm also not, you know, going to quit on a team to go to another team that also really doesn't represent my area, like whether it's a, a Man City Junior or a work by a clothing line out in Long Island. <laughs> I've, you know, committed to uh, the New York, right. New York City team in red, with whatever you call it, and all I, all I can do, you know, with my fandom is it was my frustration. The, the, Love the team, hate the brand. There are a lot of things here, Matthew, that I could dive into. I don't have time for philosophical questions about what makes a club or a, a franchise, in this case, MLS teams are franchises, and whether or not we feel ownership over these these teams when it comes to local uh, representing us and, and who is in charge. And I would love to get on to all, into all of this. And I think Red Bull out is fascinating from that perspective. I, like, I, I don't know that I have any dog in this fight, but I wish you the best of luck because it's clear that there's some passion on the part of a group of fans who are tired of their team having uh, such an inconsistent uh, leadership. I, I wish you the best, Matthew. Thank you very much for your time, man. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, there you go. There's Matthew Rappo from Red Bull Out. Hashtag Red Bull Out. At Red Bull Out. Red Bull Out.com. Red Bull Out. We'll talk to you guys in a second when the phone lines are open. 347-756-6276. Give us a call on a Friday. See ya. Hey, thank you so Matthew, thank you. Thanks a lot, man. I do appreciate the time. Um, and again, I, I really do wish you the best of luck. And maybe we'll check in with you down the road a little bit. Maybe after Sunday, maybe we'll find out what happened and, and talk to you then. Uh, no, I'd, I'd be excited to do that. All right, man. Have a good weekend. Okay. All right, bye. Okay, take care. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to hammer Miami here. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning on a Friday. Phone lines are open. 347-756-6276. Lots of games to look forward to this weekend. El Clasico is happening 
Liverpool playing Manchester United. You clearly have MLS games. The opening of Avaya Stadium in San Jose on Sunday. Man, what a day that's going to be. I wish I was there. I, I would love to go to a stadium opening, a, a, an MLS soccer-specific stadium opening. One time. Maybe I'll get to go to the D.C. opening in a couple of years. Maybe I can get an invite or a t- I can get a ticket, get a, hold, get a hold of a ticket to go see D.C. United open up their stadium. I think the buzz in San Jose is going to be awesome. And I hope that the fans uh, really show up, give it their all. It's not, look, it's not going to be Sporting Park. It's not Red Bull Arena. It's on a different level, but it's their building. belongs to them. It's going to give them a new backdrop for soccer in San Jose. No more Buckshaw Stadium. No more of that tiny little what amounted to a high school football venue. That's good. That's good for us on t- watching on television, and certainly good for them. 347-756-6276 is your phone number. If you want to talk about these Champions League matchups, we certainly can do that. Let me review those again because I went by them very quickly before we talked to Matthew Rappo. PSG and Barcelona. PSG is trying to break through. That's going to be tough with uh, with Barcelona on the other side. Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid. So uh, Madrid derby. Let's just throw that into the Champions League for fun. Rematch of last year's final. Porto and uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, that's going to be tough for Porto. I'm rooting for Porto as the quote-unquote underdog in this tournament, but Bayern Munich's going to be rough. And Juve facing Monaco. Maybe Juve can keep their role going. Again, though, missing Paul Pogba. 703, you're on the air. Hey, how you doing? Good morning. Uh, I just want to get your two cents on uh, Everton and and how much time uh, Roberto Martinez has left on the clock. Man, uh, but this... you know, I was just dispirited yesterday. If you told me we were going to take a one-goal lead to Kiev and we were going to uh, score two away goals, I thought we'd be good to go. But no, I, I, it was just shambles yesterday. It was a disaster. Um, you know, I don't know how much the trip itself, uh, you know, played into this. I think Roberto Martinez is a, is a, a very, very good manager. He hasn't won anything. He isn't. He, he's not Jose Mourinho, but he's very good. Mm-hmm. He's a very good manager. I, I, I don't know if you could, if you're Everton if you can afford to be flipping guys over. I mean. You held on to David Moyes, who, again, gained a reputation for doing more with less that some people will tell you is sort of a false uh, false impression of him. You can't just throw in the towel on Roberto Martinez a couple of seasons in because he hasn't, he hasn't maintained that success. I mean, this is a club that is riding the line between having, you know, be, being a, a quote-unquote big club and being able to pay for players and having no money. I mean, it, it's, it's just never going to be easy for Everton. I think it's troubling, and I'd be upset if I was an Everton fan. But I wouldn't be calling for Roberto Martinez to go. Well, it's just troubling because I, I, I don't see I don't see an adjustment in tactics. I see teams in the EPL week in and week out. They just know how to, you know, kind of take us on, and they sit back, you know, let let Everton play with the ball for you know sixty percent of the time, fifty five percent of the time, and then they come back and they, and, and they score on the counter yeah. and. And I'm not seeing that adjustment made. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm, I'm a little changed uh, well, right look, now. When, when, when things aren't going well, clearly we want to. You know, we see what we what we think is going on there. Whether or not I, I don't think that it's. I don't think Roberto Martinez is failing to make tactical adjustments. He made a. He just may not know what his best his best formation is. His best lineup is at this point. Uh, Tim Howard getting uh, his dip in form has been troubling. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, man. I, I wish Everton the best of luck. I, I have a soft spot for them, as most Americans do. But uh, they, they may find themselves settling into um, a tier of that league that they just don't like. I mean, and, and they need to figure it out. I mean, if they can pull a Southampton, great. But I, I don't know if that's on the on the table right now. 
Hi, man. Love the show. There you go. Thanks a lot. Mark Fishkin is on the line. Is this like rebuttal? Am I required to give you equal time or something? No, you can give me as little time as you want. Jason. <laughs> well, maybe not even, um, maybe equal time is the wrong way to say it because I don't know if you're a a Red Bull backer in terms of ownership. I, I just you know you, you show up when we talk Red Bull, Mark. Yeah, well, it's like uh, it's like catnip. What can I tell you? <laughs> so so what's um, going on? I, I definitely appreciate the sentiment that, that the Red Bull Out guys have put together. They seem to be organized or generating buzz on social media. I think. As you said, you know, what more can you do as you were attempting to, to brainstorm with them in terms of <laughs> getting a, an ownership change? And I, I guess it's nice to see that MLS has gotten to a place where lots of other pro sports franchises have, right? Where fans are organizing and demanding ownership changes or management changes. Management changes. I'm wondering if their efforts weren't best spent um, talking talking to the moneyed American landed gentry to try to vet prospective owners. We know that um, casino magnate Jason Ader was involved at one mm. point in trying to pitch to the team to, to take the team off Red Bull's hands. But when you consider now you're talking not just about the team, you're talking about a stadium mm-hmm. and a training center mm-hmm. and now a USL team mm-hmm. and an academy uh, program as well that's very highly regarded. I'm not making an editorial comment on whether Red Bull has uh, done a great job in attracting the attention of the area soccer fans because they obviously have been had very limited success there. It's just that if I'm a, a fan organization standing in front of the arena and unfurling a banner and screaming real loud on Twitter, um, may not be all they can do. Maybe they can, like I said, really go out and try to drum up interest in the investment community to, to buy up the team, who, by the way, as, we, as we've as we all heard and read, have no interest in selling, at least if uh, well, you come with, with, a, with, a, with a nation-sized wad of cash. Okay, look, they are, they are, they're not coming out there. They're not pulling a Randy Lerner and saying, hey, I'd like to get rid of this team. Bring me your best offer. But again, if Ader or whoever else came and said, here's a $200 million check, they would consider that. They'd have to. Just as any MLS team owner Absolutely, would. absolutely. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe the uh, effort is best served. But again, you know, I think the average fan, the guy, you know, the guy who's going to work nine to five every day and then spending his, his extra income on season tickets isn't going to have access to those people. I don't know how you do that, Mark. Maybe you do. I know you're a high roller. I'm a, I'm a very, very high roller. Just <laughs> very high. Well, I mean, again, I, I don't know. I mean, I think you feel you you feel powerless in this situation there's a group of people who own my team who do not seem to have the best interest of my team in mind or have failed repeatedly and so it's just a matter of incompetence okay how do i change this well honestly you can't you can't you can't right. you can't make red bull sell just like uh you know it, 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 i don't know i think going after ownership is an interesting tactic because that is the most intransigent of the people involved in the team I that know. means you can, other than voting with your wallet, I mean, yeah, I, I right. appreciate uh, which, the fan on Twitter saying, go support one of the other teams. But as we know in this area, none of them are owned by Americans, and all of them have some sort of fatal built-in flaw uh, that prevents some people from rooting for yeah, them. So, it's, it is tough. You know, you, you either leave or you want it, I guess, or you try to find someone that can make a difference. Yep. Mark Fishkin from Seeing Red, the uh, New York Red Bulls podcast, which is here on Backheel.com. Appreciate your time, Mark. Thank you.
Be well. Have a great right, weekend. There you go. Addy in Brooklyn's on the line. What's up, Eddie? All right, what's up? Um, I just want to let you know that the, the Rebel Out people, that they have that that uh, that billboard on the way to Rebel Arena. Yeah. And it has a picture of Mike Pecky holding up the supporter shield, right? Yeah. So I just want to remind them that that's the picture of Mike Pecky holding up the only trophy this franchise has ever had while Red Bull was in ownership. So well, okay. maybe you want, uh, uh, might okay. want to change out that billboard uh, and okay. put something like Giant Stadium sure. or, I, you know, the, all the other failures that we had before I, well, Red Bull I, came in. Eddie, I don't think it's wrong for this group to point to Mike Pecky as a symbol of what's wrong with Red Bull, despite the fact that he did help the team win a trophy under Red Bull. I mean, I understand it, but look, but, but they act like this is my problem with Red Bulls fans. They act like Mike Pecky was beyond reproach. The man made a mistake in the U.S. Open Cup. He made a mistake in Cup Champions League. Sure. He didn't tell his players that he didn't that they did. They were in danger of being suspended in the playoffs. These are fireable offenses. Let's not act like the man. Love the man. Respect the man. Thank him for everything he did. He might have been done a little bit dirty, but I I, I appreciate. I, I know Jesse Marshall a little. Like I, I know what he's about, and I'm not really mad about the move. I'm mad, more mad at people thinking like, "Oh, that's it, Pecky. He was he was untouchable. He wasn't untouchable. He made mistakes as a manager, and when you make mistakes as a manager, you you pay consequences. Sure, that's, but, just, that's life. But but again, but again, I don't think I, the problem here, Eddie, and I, and I know you know this, is that Red Bull Red Bull the court, the company didn't have the built up credit. To be firing Mike Pecky, a guy who, a local guy who desperately cared about that club, with something that that, that team didn't have before. When Hans Bach is there, you know he's a hired gun. That's fine. If he wins something, that's great. But he didn't win anything. Then Mike okay, Pecky, but- I'm just, I'm just saying that that you have to balance out how good of a manager he is versus what he represents. And maybe that's maybe that's the wrong way to go about running a soccer club. But again, the fact that he won the only trophy that, that that team has ever had, the fact that he was so invested in the Red Bulls, I'm not saying that he okay, should. Okay, but go ahead. Uh, but let's not act like Robin Frazier didn't have anything to do with that. Okay, <laughs> no, oh, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and the man left, and the man left New York too. So we have no Thierry Henry, we have no Tim Cahill. Frazier leaves, and now it's just Pecky stop. You do people honestly think that Pecky was going to be able to pull everything off? No, but I think they feel better about it right now because they know they know him. He's the devil they know rather than the devil they don't. And I must say, again, Jesse Marsh could be a success with this team, but I, I do think it's interesting that you take a group of fans who have been tortured for 18 years, they win a trophy, oh, great, look at this guy, he represents us, Mike Pecky, and then you toss him. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just... A, it, it, I was tortured too. I'm also not emotional. I know, I know. All right, Eddie, you got anything else, man? No, that's pretty much I it. I appreciate it. I appreciate the phone call. Eddie in Brooklyn. Eddie, Eddie is that guy in the in New York, in the five boroughs, who desperately cares about the Red Bulls and will defend them to, uh, despite the fact that, you know, the NYCFC is uh, right down the road now. Um, let's see. Who's this? 908, who's this? Hey, Brian. How are you? Uh, it's Brian from Elizabeth. What's up, Brian? Hey, this is a problem. I've been a Red Bull fan. I'm, I grew up I grew up a music fan, so I've been a Red Bull fan since Juan Pablo. All right. He paid you no know, on the VPL. And the thing is, it's ridiculous that this team in 2008, right, ownership and the company Rebel went all out to get a stadium, right? Yeah. yeah. You don't see that? Do you not see what they do? We would still be paying a giant stadium okay. if it wasn't for them. Look, it's a good point. It's a good point. But I think that there's this, this and I'm, again, I'm not a Red Bull fan. I'm not there. I'm not reading the message boards or on the, uh, on Red Bull Twitter to figure out exactly how people feel, but it looks to me 
like the frustration is coming out of the fact that it seems like they pulled back now. Now I don't know I don't know if if this dude and the rest of this group are running Red Bull out if Thierry Henry is still around. If 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 Tim Cahill didn't decide to take the first exit possible. If they had spent on a couple of DPs that you had heard of and had big reputation. Sasha Kleshin's a good player. He's going to help you out a lot. And it's, uh, and, it's, maybe, and it's maybe good. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, if it's good that you paid Bradley Wright Phillips because he deserved it. But they have they look like they've taken a step back. Whether they have or not, whether or not this is the right way to go, time will tell. But it certainly looks like they've pulled back a little bit. Then they fought, they, you know, then you got turnover at the top, Roxburgh leaves. Then you got Ali Curtis coming in with his 300 page plan. Then you fire Mike Pecky, again, the only guy to ever win a trophy with that team as a head coach. And you hire Jesse March, who has, Jesse March, who has one year of MLS experience. And you just don't know. Right, but then, then here comes the thing is, why do they have to put Mike Pecky on the thing? You know, Mike Pecky, I understand he's a legend, but come on. You know, put, <laughs> like the, like Eddie said, put the damn Yankee Stadium on you know, the picture. You know what I'm saying? Put, don't, don't put the Mike Pecky because that was, what about, God forbid, he becomes a, G, a GM, I mean a GM, right? So then what? So then you're going to put Mike Pecky in, Red Bull out? That's retarded. That's, that's uh, okay, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to let you, I appreciate the call, Brian. But, it, you know, there's... I don't think this is about Mike Pecky. I think Mike Pecky just came to symbolize that that there's that Red Bull's not doing what what, what the fans think they should, that he should do. Some of the fans, again, this is obviously not a fully across the board sentiment. Let's see, nine one four, you on the air? Hey, Jason, how's it going? Uh, you know, I've got a little bit of a different take on this because I, I am one of the people who's really about Red Bull, and I think it's got a lot of the right things going on. But, you know, I look at it in the whole picture. I've been a fan since, since a long time, like back when I was a little kid. And I've been going to games since then. And, like, you know, for me, it's not about Mike Pecky. It's not about, you know, a stadium. It, it's bigger than that. It's about is the team right now going in the direction that people like? Is it the right way to go? And, you know, maybe Ali Curtis says something, maybe he doesn't. But the problem is, and you're absolutely hit the nail on the head, is that Mike is the only guy who's actually gotten us to win anything. Then you fired the guy a year after, or, or a few months after you're, uh, you're a goal away from winning the Supporters' Shield. I've seen eight guys in the past nine years run my team yeah. for a little bit of time. I've seen over, over years, I think we're up to 15 or 16 guys run my team. And I've seen this blow up every single time when we start back you know, from, from square one every single time. Yeah, I think, again, and, I, I'm going to come back to this. I don't think Red Bull has the built-up credit with the fans to be firing a guy who won a trophy. No, you, you can argue no, about whether or not Mike Pecky did the right thing, made the right moves. You know, again, that playoff situation with Bradley Wright Phillips looks terrible, and I called him out for it at the time. But that does it, and and maybe it's a fireable offense. But within the context of the New York Red Bulls and considering their history, I just don't get that. I don't get why yeah, you let I, him go. And J- and Jason, you got to go even further than that. You know, we're also a team in New York, mind you. There's a name after an energy drink right now. <laughs> right. Okay? I, I mean, we're the only team in the uh-huh. league right now. There's a name after a, a product. You've got, you got to think of it that way, too. So not only are we do they not have the, the cachet built up with the fan base, you know, it's hard to attach yourself to an energy drink and, and, and cheer Red Bulls. You know, just the, the actual sentiment of doing that. That's yeah. its own problem. No, its own right. I, I absolutely so agree when you, with when you, that. I agree when with that. When you combine it all together, and you've been a fan for 20 years, and you've been watching the games for 20 years, and you've been going to games for 20 years, and you care so much about the team, 
and you see the same things repeating over and over again with the same ownership, and MetroStar's ownership sucks. But the honest-to-God truth is, for me, as a guy who's been doing this for 20 years, as a guy who's been watching the team for 20 years, as a guy who's seen Red Bull, seen before Red Bull, when you put it all together, you put it under a Red Bull name, and you sit here and you're seeing the same crap happen. And they've invested all this money, and now they're starting to pull back on investing this money, too. The benefits of having Red Bull as an owner really start to slink away. Nice stadium. Love it. Great place to watch a game, and I thank them for it, and, and thank you for the stadium. You built a great place. But being an owner in, in this league, as a fan, I care more about my team winning right now. Everybody else in this, you know, this league is building stadiums. Infrastructure is booming yeah. in MLS, and that's a great thing. You know, It makes the league more permanent. But as a fan, I want to see my team win. I want to see stability. I want to see guys who care about my club running my club and, and rewarded, not, not punished for success, but we rewarded for yeah, this. I, I appreciate I'm not, the phone call. I, I'm not seeing that. Right okay. Now. Fair enough. Appreciate the phone call, man. It's good sentiment there. Uh, look, I, I think that it's a slippery slope if you start saying, well, but they built the stadium. We wouldn't have that stadium without Red Bull. Because then, you know, if you're a New York, a New England Revolution fan, you go, okay, well, we don't have this team without Robert Kraft. We don't have this league without Robert Kraft. Well, do you think Red, do you think New England Revolution fans? Yeah, their team is good right now. They've collected some talent. They've got Jay Heaps doing a good job. Lee Wynn is fantastic. But do you think they're happy with the the way that team is being run in sort of the off the field element? Don't you think that they want somebody who really does want to build a stadium rather than somebody who gives lip service to it? Robert Kraft gets a lot of credit for what he did for this league and that team over the last twenty years, but that doesn't mean that they that you you just give him a pass now. And I think that's the issue with Red Bull and New York. All right, I didn't have a time to get into this, but we'll definitely keep this over for next week. If you haven't seen this yet, Robert Andrew Powell. Fantastic writer, uh, has a great piece over at, uh, at, or coming out in the the next issue of Howler. It's reprinted at longform.com. I don't have the link in front of me. Uh, longform.org, excuse me. Go find it. It's on my Twitter feed somewhere. I'll tweet it out again later. It's just on Miami and the effort to put a team in Miami. It's mostly about Marcelo Clore, but there's some obviously some stuff about there in there about David Beckham, about the effort to build, uh, to build a stadium. And, and what I'll say about this and what, what's clear here, uh, from, uh, Robert's writing is that you've got two really busy guys involved in this, in this effort. The two, the two principals are David Beckham. He, citizen of the world, London resident, um, entrepreneur extraordinaire, David Beckham and Marcelo Clore, who is the CEO of Sprint living in Kansas City now. And part of this story takes place at Sporting Park. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating read and, and you'll come away from it. And I am not hating on Miami at all, but you will come away from it thinking this might never happen because these guys are just too damn busy and they don't put in the effort needed. That's who, that's what you'll take away from this. There's some also some, some interesting quotes from, uh, another MLS owner and some other things happening in here. Some of the quotes have been refuted by the uh, parties involved. It's fascinating. I love it. Hopefully we can get out Robert Andrew Powell on the show to talk about the story in the near future. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you for partaking of the show at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, go check out dishworld.com, especially if you want to watch El Clasico this weekend. It, access to be in sport through that streaming service. It's a good price. It's a quality product. Trust me, I know from experience. Uh, go to be, uh, go to 3nailfc.com to buy your t-shirt for soccer morning and you can get a mug at backheel.com slash store. I don't think I'm missing anything, right? I think I'm done. 
think it's been an excellent show. Red Bull fans are fired up. Fired up. Love it. Avaya Stadium opening up this weekend. El Clasico. Liverpool, Manchester United. Man, I'm going to go watch some soccer. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. We'll be right back.